0: So we're starting a new series today looking at Romans 12. And we're going to start right at the start of Romans 12. Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test And approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. I want to talk today about the power of sacrifice. The power of sacrifice. There's something remarkable about sacrifice. And I don't know about you, but I'm often captivated by it, particularly when you see it worked out in extreme situations, whether it's in war or in a a kind of natural disaster when people lay their lives on the line for others. I'm captivated by it when it's far off. But if I'm honest, when it's much closer to home, I can find it quite difficult. So I love the idea that... If I was ever in a war, I'd be one of the heroes, you know, laying my life down for my fellow soldiers. But on Monday morning, when I'm in on the tube and I get off, and someone's walking a bit slowly in front of me, I very find it very hard to sacrifice kind of 30 seconds. I'm not, I'm not kind of, I kind of want to get in front of them, and um, I don't want to lay my life down for them at all. You know how it is when someone's just walking a bit slowly, you know, or a tourist. You know, kind of taking photos as they're getting off the tube. You know, I've got places to go, people to see, you know. Just to say if you're here and you're a tourist, you're so welcome. Um, It's wonderful to have you with us. You know, um, take all the time you need on the tube. That's my issue, but I find it a bit um, hard on the tube. And also our culture emphasizes your interest. You know, fight for your interests, your preferences, your choices, your freedom, your best interests, so it can seem risky and counterintuitive to make a sacrifice, to act against your own interest, to put something else before your best interests. And it's fascinating in this passage that having spent 11 chapters of the most important letter ever written, talking about who God is and what he's done for us, and what that means for us, Paul then applies it to the everyday circumstances of our lives. That's what he does right. He says, therefore. And as he does that, his key image is an image of sacrifice. And not just that we might... Uh, kind of give a sacrifice or make a sacrifice, but that we might become a sacrifice. We might be a living sacrifice. And you kind of think, how would I ever do that? Why would I ever choose to act against my own best interest? Surely that's a crazy thing to do. And Paul says, the reason you would do that, your motive for doing that is in view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy. Every other motive in life will let you down. Fear will exhaust you. Guilt will make you resentful. Even your own self-interest will become tiresome after a while. But if you're motivated by mercy, your motivation can be infinite because God's mercy for you is deeper than the sea and higher than the sky. God loves you. He's demonstrated his kindness and his mercy to you supremely on the cross giving Jesus for you, Jesus' blood shed for you on the cross, so that you might know God as a much-loved son, a much-loved daughter of God. He's shown his mercy to you. But the word Paul actually uses here is plural. It's like his mercies, in view of God's mercies to you. And there are a million ways that God has shown his mercy to you, and they're quite easy to forget sometimes. I find them quite easy to forget sometimes. I was... uh, I was back home in uh, my beautiful hometown of Luton on uh, Tuesday, just walking around the ends and um, just kind of hanging out and it was great, I was having a great time, but as I was walking around, you know it's quite evocative when you go back to your hometown, I was suddenly struck by all the different things that had happened when I was growing up that could have happened in a different way, like where I might have been but for God's mercy. I saw my school, which actually isn't there anymore. They knocked it down, um, they flattened it, and then they built another school. And um, you know, I sometimes say uh, that actually uh, that school, um, these days you call it a failing school, largely because it failed. And, uh, and, and actually it was, it was kind of known, I, w- I, would, I would have described it as, as the worst school in Luton um, at that time. Um, it's quite a difficult accolade to achieve. And, uh, I, and I, I was talking about my school in a talk recently. And then afterwards, someone came up to me. And he kind of looked at me and he said, Can I ask you a question? And I said, uh, yeah. And he said, what school? And I said, what? And he said, what school in Luton? And uh, I said, oh, uh, uh, why, why do you know? He said, what school in Luton? And, um, and I said, <laughs> he's a bit bigger than me. And, um, and I said, oh, Halliard. Hale School. He said, "Yeah, that, that is the worst school in Luton." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I just wanted to check because you said it might have been the worst school, and I was actually expelled from four schools in Luton. And uh, one of them was bad. One of them was a bit worse than that. The third wasn't that great. Um, Hale was definitely the worst. He said, "On my first day, they made me fight another guy just to work out where I fitted in the packing order." So that that was a really bad school. So I was like, "Okay." So I, so as I was talking to him, I was suddenly remembering actually god you were really kind to me because even though i was in what at times was quite a violent school you put good people around me there were good teachers there who invested in me and then i was at walk past the school i suddenly saw my church and i looked at my church and the church of all the places we could have lived we lived within walking distance of a church that wanted to see people come to know jesus and was passionate about reaching out to young people saying God you've shown your mercy in so many different ways and it's so important you know, to remember God's mercy to us shown on the cross but also to remember his mercy shown in a thousand different ways through your life so Paul says in view of God's mercy having that in view, having that in your line of sight what does he ask us to do? he says to offer yourselves Paul writes offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God this is your true and proper worship I don't know about you, but the word sacrifice can seem a bit ancient. It can seem a bit old school. But when Paul wrote this letter, almost everyone he was writing to would have seen, would have witnessed a proper sacrifice in a temple. You know, an animal killed and offered to God. And Paul isn't kind of encouraging us to do that. In fact, he says we should don't need to do that anymore because Jesus is our one perfect, sufficient sacrifice. But he is drawing on the imagery of what was the thank offering sacrifice where people would take something of really high value in their lives like a perfect uh, livestock, a cow or something like that and they would take it and they would offer it over to God. Set it apart for God as a way of showing everything I have is yours. All I've got in my life, you've given to me and I want to show you that I'm giving it back to you. So I'm handing this over to you. And I was thinking, you know, it it doesn't feel like it's very London 2018 to talk about sacrifices. I was thinking, how could I demonstrate this to you? And, um, you know, I could have brought a cow, but it would have been messy. I'm wearing a white shirt, you know, and I'd probably got sacked. And on balance, I quite like my job. Um, So how else could I do it? And actually, um, has anyone got a phone? Anyone mind just giving me a... Oh, Sam, thanks so much. Oh, iPhone 7 plus and um and uh I I mean it's interesting actually because Sam this is Sam's phone and he um you know he's handed it over to someone who actually happens to be a priest and um so if we were um in the old testament then what the priest would do would he take the high value item and he put it on the altar and eventually it would be consumed by fire and um a bit nervous there, Sam. And um, obviously, I'm not going to do that. It would be very dangerous to set fire to something on a wooden table. Um, but I was thinking, what I could do is hit it with a hammer. Um, so, um, so what I'll do, i just, just for safekeeping, make sure there's enough of it left to hand back to Sam. Just and so, what you'd be doing, every as you kind of offer this thing over, remarkably durable, actually. You know, um, as you offer this thing over, oh, oh that's not good. Oh. Um, you'd be saying this thing doesn't have a hold on me I mean it looks actually I'm doing Sam a favour you know i was say like, this thing doesn't have a hold on me I'm offering it over as a way of saying actually what matters most is God and this thing it might be very valuable it might be important in my life but I'm not going to let it get a hold of my heart um, Oh, thanks so much Sam do you like it back? it's like a nice piece of modern art um, there you go. Round of applause for Sam. Now obviously when you, offer things, when you offer your life over to God, he doesn't hit you with a hammer. That's really important to get across. God loves you. He wants the best for you. But Paul uses this imagery of sacrifice to try and stir us up to see what's possible. That we could actually offer up our whole lives. The word he uses is like your whole being, every single bit of you as a, love, as a living sacrifice. Every inch of your body, your ears, your eyes, your mouth your arms, your legs, any other bit of your body, every neuron of your mind, your thoughts, your intelligence, your creativity, every decision of your will, your choices, your ambitions, your hopes, your fears, every minute of your day, your priorities, your time, your energy, to offer it all up to God and say, in view of God's mercy, it's yours. You you gave me this life and not only that, you, you kind of redeemed me, you bought me with a price. So I'm not my own, I'm yours. I'm going to offer it up to you. Have your way for me. And and actually this is quite challenging but it's also quite exciting. It's challenging because, because it means there's all sorts of consequences for how we live our lives. But it's exciting because it opens up the possibility of seeing how God will light up our lives when we lay them down. Seeing how he might manifest his purposes in our lives when we say, God, what you want, First and foremost, not what I want, but it's also challenging because because it's hard. I don't know about you, uh, but for me, um, I often find that the thing about being a living uh, sacrifice is that um, try as I might, I, I keep kind of slipping off the altar. Like, and you know, I'm on it on a Sunday. Like, yes, my whole life, God, on the altar. And, but then, sometimes in the past, it's been the case that on a Friday night, when I'm out with my mates, it's like it's not that convenient. It's a bit uncomfortable. It's, it's a bit too costly to be on the altar on a Friday night. You know, they'd never let it in the club. So, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, um, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go off and do my thing just for a few hours. I'll get back on the altar in a bit, or maybe it's something else. Maybe um, for you, you know, you're on the altar. It's all fine. But actually, there's parts of your body that you don't. It's, it's, it's uncomfortable, it's inconvenient to have on there. So maybe at times, you know, your, your, your mind, you know, you, I, I find this, someone upsets me, I, all right, my body's on the altar, but I need my mind off the altar for an hour because someone's been rude to me and I need to think of 29 ways to get them back. And actually, I'm just, I'm just going to enjoy that headspace and just, just need that off the altar a little bit. Or maybe um, maybe for you, I don't know, it's your eyes. You know, your you're looking at things which are polluting your mind a little bit and, and, and it's uncomfortable to be on the altar because you, know, you know you don't want to be doing that stuff or your ears, what you're listening to. Sometimes it can be the other way around. that you can, you can be quite happy, I can be quite happy to kind of put my mouth on the altar, to sing the songs, maybe even lift my hands up as I worship, but, but from the rest of my body, you would never know that I was a living sacrifice. That's all just doing whatever it is I want to do. What I tend to find is there any given time in my life, there's one part of my body which doesn't want to be anywhere near this. Doesn't want to go anywhere near because it's too hard. And at one, in one area of my life, it's biting. It's challenging me. It's hard. And I don't know what that might be today. It might be you feel God wants you to befriend someone, your workplace or in your community, that everyone else has shunned. And you really feel like God's asking you to do it. But it's costly for you. And so, you know, you don't really want to walk across the room, you know, and kind of, you know, your feet are kind of resisting it to say hi to them, to draw them into community. That might be where it's biting. You know, it might be that um, you feel called to speak out on behalf of someone in your workplace who suffered an injustice, but even as you start to use your voice, you can feel it stick in your throat. Like, is this going to be too costly? I know it's what I should be doing, you know, speak out on behalf of all the oppressed, it's a bit costly at the moment it might be um, actually it's your heart you know you're reluctant to put your heart on the altar to lay that down you know maybe it's your heart you you, you, you've been dating someone who you know deep down is no good for you or your faith or maybe you need to start dating people In a way that kind of respects and honors their God given value and identity. It's something with your heart. Maybe even for you, you know, being on the altar might mean committing to someone that you've slightly been messing around. You know, maybe the thing that most needs to get on the altar at the moment for you is your hands. You know, maybe you need to put a ring on a finger. Just saying. Just let that hang a little bit in the air. Just a few kind of elbows moving to left and right. Um, I don't know if that's you. I'm not saying, you can't say the pastor said that, you have to, but I'm just, I'm just saying you need to think about it. Maybe you need to encourage a friend. Maybe you need to challenge a friend. Maybe for you, you're single. And you're starting to think you might be single for a long time. And for you, it's about saying, actually, how does my whole body in this in this place of singleness, how do I honor you? How do I glorify you as you've made me in this time? What does that look like? I really want to think about that at this time maybe it's encouraging a friend maybe it's challenging a friend maybe it's prioritising something you've been neglecting laying down an ambition that was all about you and picking up an ambition which is about God maybe God's asking you to forgive someone and you pray God would would you help me to do this even though it terrifies me and it just makes my stomach go icy cold and it sticks in my throat I don't know what it is for you, but there will be something right now that will be costly, uncomfortable, inconvenient. And the question is, will you get up here? In Paul's metaphor, that's what he's asking us to do. And it seems hard, but let me tell you, there's no more joyful place than being a living sacrifice. That's what I found. These things have been hard when I've wrestled with them, but when I'm up here actually, the the bits of me that were screaming saying, don't go anywhere near that, suddenly I feel more alive than ever before. I feel more joyful than ever before. I feel I have more purpose than ever before. I feel more peace than ever before. It's like I was so worried... About acting against my own interest. But when I do it, I realise that there's one who is looking out for my interest even when I lay it down. Who loves me like a father. Who is for me and not against me. And wants good things for my lives. And as I lay down my interest, he can pick up my interest. And he can do more through me than I could ever ask or imagine. It's more than that because actually, as you start to lay your life down, what Paul says is this is your true, your proper, your rational, your best worship. This is your best worship. I love when we worship together as a church. But you know, your worship is more defined by the submits, the kind of decisions to sacrifice you make than by the songs that you sing. And there's something that brings glory to God. In every area of your life where you say, I'm just going to lay that down. I'm just going to lay that down. That hurts a little bit. I'm going to put my interest second. When you do that, you bring great glory to God. You're actually worshipping. which well, it shifts everything. So when you think about your week, it enables every part of your day, every task you perform, every relationship you're in, to be a relationship where you bring glory to God. Where you worship him. So when someone says to you, what are you up to? You're not just sending emails at work, I'm worshipping. You know, you You're not just building a wall, you're worshipping. You're not just fixing a car, you're worshipping. You're not just you know, initiating a GDPR policy for your company. You are worshipping. I know some of you don't feel that way, but you are worshipping. There's an opportunity to worship in every single area of your life. You're not just restructuring a deal, restructuring a company, negotiating with a board, innovating a product, using your creativity. You're using all you are and saying, God, do with me whatever you want and as I do it, wherever you've placed me, wherever you've called me to be, I want this to be worship to you. It shifts things. But then the second thing Paul asks us to do is to be transformed. So how do we do it? So we've got a choice to make because it doesn't happen by accident obviously. You don't just kind of find yourself you know, and say, oh, how do I end up on here? This is strange. You know, I, oh, I've sacrificed my life. I didn't even realise it. it. You have to be intentional about it. He says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but let yourself be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He says, don't conform. Now, I don't know if you know this, but there is a pressure on you the whole time to conform to the world. Now, some of you might be aware of that. It might be very direct. Sometimes it's very indirect, but basically the world is trying to get you to look just like everyone else. It'd be conformed. And the weird thing about it is, is that the way it's sold to you, the way the slight subtle pressure you get, is that if you do this, if you just conform to everyone else, then you will find freedom and joy. But actually, all the world is offering is conformity, boring conformity. You know, you are made unique, unique set of skills, unique set of experiences, unique set of giftings, but the world just wants to squeeze you into its mold. And churn you out just like everyone else. So God says, don't do that. Be transformed. Don't be the same as everyone else. Be distinct, be distinguishable from everyone else. And sometimes it can be quite a lot of pressure. So, I used to work, when I used to work as a lawyer, uh, one day a very senior guy took me out for lunch. It was really nice. I was really honoured to be invited, really nice lunch, and um, you know they say there's no such thing as a free lunch, turned out that was true, and, um, and I was there at lunch, and then after, after the first thing he just, he, you know, I'm anxious about which cutlery to use, that's just my stuff, but I am, and I've um, got a lot of my mind, like spoon or fork first, and then he says, he says, Stephen, tell me this, what's, what's the gossip around you in the company at the moment? What are people doing? What mistakes have people made? Like what, What's actually happening? I want to know the gossip. And I was like, oh, how do I answer this? And I felt like everything I wanted to do was to kind of you know, make myself look good in his eyes. So I thought, well, I could tell him about that person, what he did there, and that person messed up there. And those two people are kind of getting together, but no one really knows it yet. And I was thinking through all the gossip I could share with him, but I'd just been reading about the tongue in James and about how the tongue is powerful. And I just knew in my spirit, I can't, I can't do this. I can't start gossiping with this about people I work with. So I kind of took a deep breath, you know, steadied myself, and I said, well, actually, um, I'm, I'm a Christian. He kind of was like, what? <laughs> and I said, um, so I don't Gossip. and he looked at me as though I just slapped him in the face and, and then there was just silence it was the most awkward lunch I've ever had in my life all you could hear was the sound of cutlery on plates it's really awkward having a whole lunch with people and I was thinking this is a disaster you know, and if I'm honest he never invited me out for lunch ever again but do you know what happened other people I worked with started to hear that they could trust me to keep their confidence. I wasn't just going to gossip about them behind their back. And so actually, other people started taking me for lunch. You know, senior people started taking me for lunch. And they started, started I want to talk through this issue with you. I want to talk through this problem with you. Can I ask you this question about your faith? It felt like a massive sacrifice. And in the moment, I thought, I've set my career on fire. <laughs> but actually... It really shifted things for me in my career and it made a difference. When you offer yourself up as a living sacrifice, you can trust that God is going to be right there behind you, using it for his glory, making a difference. It's powerful. And Paul says, let God transform you inwardly by a complete change. And this is like not just the outward conformity that the world's trying to bring. This is something, not just like an airbrushing, like, oh, we'll just give you a paint job. No, this is something that changes within you so deeply that your whole life starts to be transformed. That you're so captivated by Jesus because the Holy Spirit is revealing him to you in your innermost place. You know, Jesus, who didn't hold anything back on the cross. Jesus who was prepared to lay down his life so we might have life in all its fullness. When the Holy Spirit starts to show you who Jesus is and show you how much he loves you and to start to get you captivated by him, it actually starts to change you from the inside out. It starts to reorientate your whole life. And then people start to look at you and they can't even put their fingers on it. They can't even quite understand it. But they're looking at you in the workplace, in your community, in your school, in your university, in your family, when your friendship groups, when you're out of the pub, wherever you are, they're kind of there's something about you that's different because you're not conforming, because you're not just identical, you're not just coody cutter, you are, you are different, you are made unique, perfect for the purposes God has for you, and when you let him start to outwork that in your life, people are like, I don't know what's about you, I don't know what's different about you, but I'm captivated by it, because they're starting to see Jesus himself living in you by the Holy Spirit, and it kind of they kind of want it, they don't understand it, but they want it, and then when you do that, Paul says, when you start to lay down your life he starts to unfold his purposes. He says, then you'll be able to discern his good, perfect, pleasing will for your life. And when you do what God calls you to do, even when you don't want to, it shifts things. Sometimes the purpose you need is right on the other side of the obedience you resist. It's there. He wants to unfold it to you. He wants to give you the guidance you're seeking. A number of years ago, I worked for a different organisation and one of my bosses um, was, you know, I look back now, he's actually one of the best bosses I ever had. Brilliant guy, really talented, hugely experienced. And um, by the time, I was a bit younger and uh, I'd basically been working a couple of years. I thought I knew pretty much... Everything, about how everything should be run, about how we should do things. And um, so I was starting to kind of bash against this other guy a little bit. Even though he was my boss, I was finding it frustrating. And you know, I, I I didn't quite like the way um, he was treating me. I was kind of kicking against it. You know, it was all my issues, but I was just kind of kicking against it. Like, why is it got to be this way? Why 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 is this got to happen? I felt a bit underappreciated felt like my you know really insightful opinions were not quite having the impact they should have. You know, my two years experience was being undervalued, and his thirty years experience was having too much impact on the situation. And um, As the months went on, I got more and more frustrated by this until eventually we had this conversation. I just thought, it's just a kind of a passing conversation. I got really frustrated by it and I was like, oh, I'm done. I am done. I could be a lot of places doing a lot of things. Do I really want to waste my time here? You know, with this person who doesn't really appreciate me. I'm gone. I'm going to check out. So I kind of made a decision in my mind that's it. Game over. I'm off. You know, their loss. Sure, no one else has ever said that to anyone. Um, and as I walked away, you know, thinking, I'll do it tomorrow, tomorrow's the day, um, it's one of the rare times in life I felt God whisper something to me, actually. And I just had this sense that God said, uh, Stephen, do you, do you want your life to be about your preferences or my purposes? Now, you can go off and do anything, but you're not interested in what I might want to do through you here. Are you happy to give up that quickly without knowing what purposes I might have for your presence in this place? And it, it kind of made me take a step back. It, it kind of took my breath away. And I suddenly realised, oh, I've been seeing this all wrong. You know, I, I'm not prepared just for a short period of time to be in a place which is slightly uncomfortable or inconvenient for me I'm not prepared to take that hit I'm not prepared to act against my own interest and wait and see how God might unfold his purposes in that place and you know what I took the decision I thought okay right I'm in there I don't understand it I can't see how it's going to work but I'm in and I stayed there and I tell you what That relationship has now become one of the most important relationships in my life. Hugely valuable mentor who supported me for a number of years. I see the wisdom of what he was trying to do when my young, immature, slightly caught himself in. And more than that, I saw in ways I could never have anticipated, God use my little presence in that little place for his purposes. It really made a difference. If you hear one thing today, God's purposes for your life are good, they are pleasing and they are perfect. They're good, not bad. You can trust him. They are pleasing. When you discover them, they will please you and they are perfect. You cannot improve on God's purpose for your life. If you had all the power, all the money, all the connections in the world and you spent a year thinking up what you think your purpose of your life should be, God's purposes would be a thousand times better than that they are good, perfect and pleasing he wants what's best for you what God wants for your life it's so far better than anything you could imagine on your own don't miss it and the way to discover it is to say God I I haven't got it all together it's a bit nervy it's a bit scary it's a bit risky but today I'm willing, Lord, to take that step of saying, I want to offer myself all you've given me, my body, my life, my mind, my soul, my ambitions, my hopes, my fears, my dreams, all of it to you. And say, God, do with me what you will. And if we did that together, just think about the impact that hundreds and thousands of living sacrifices going right across this city could make on the on the people in our city. Think about the example that would be to people. Think about the way that workplaces and schools and universities would be transformed by people who say, not my interests first, but God's purposes first. Not my preferences, though I might not want to do a lot of things, but God, what you want to do in this moment. That's what I'm fixed on. That's what I most desire. That's what I most want to see. And if we did that, then we would see. We would be able to taste and see that. God's purposes are good they are pleasing and they are perfect in your life in my life and in our life together as a church and for this city in Jesus name Amen